the Fancy Film Fellows employs a frank discussion of cinema that includes adult language and descriptions of mature situations. We have no concern for spoilers, so be warned, you might learn more than you'd care to know. Sheriff, he had some sort of thing on him, like a oxygen tank for emphysema or something, and a hose that run down his sleeve. You got me. Well, you can look at it when you get in. Yes, sir. I got it under control. Reading and watching. Hello, fancy friends. Welcome back to another episode of Fancy Film Fellows Presents Reading and Watching, colon, No Young Adult Novels Allowed. My name is Basil, and I am joined, as always, by Haley. Hello. How are you today, Haley? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You remember to ask me this time? I remember every time. Yeah, with some prodding. Mm Mm-mm. (laughs) okay uh so today we are going to be discussing no country for old men written by cormac mccarthy and published in 2005 and then comparing it to the film no country for old men uh released in 2007 directed by joel and ethan cohen i had to look up a word yeah i had to look up a lot of words but we'll get to that uh (laughs) What did it mean in the book? Just now. Oh, a word that I just said? You didn't know what Cohen meant? <laughs> no. Uh, so, what do you think of this book, Haley? I enjoyed this book. It's fun. Um, it's. Uh, I read a couple other McCarthy novels. Uh, I prefer the other two. I don't think there's anything wrong with this book. I just feel like it's a pretty straightforward experiment and it's just like kind of a breezy book uh-huh. as far as <laughs> mccarthy is concerned yeah um but it was fun i enjoyed it mm-hmm. what do you think i like this book uh you know i <laughs> i i had i came at it with some baggage uh anyone listening might uh have read my uh, very popular letterboxd review of no country for old men where i talk about how mccarthy sucks and i forgot to read that i could have read that and laughed at you today yeah yeah, for sure but uh well do you said that without having read any cormac mccarthy no but i had seen like all the adaptations or almost all the adaptations and just like based on them oh man i was like uh you're such a typical (laughs) annoying person on letterbox yeah yeah for sure (laughs) Well, it was like seven years ago, but uh, (laughs) things have changed a lot since then. Uh, I actually read some Cormac McCarthy, and it turns out he's pretty cool. But, I mean, we'll get get to more of that uh, once we're actually discussing the movie. But uh, I did like the book. I, um, at first, I wasn't like 100% sure how to take uh sheriff bell's narration and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i was like this guy seems like a dummy 
but is he a dummy or is it just is he an unreliable narrator or not yeah yeah Yeah. well and just like yeah like his pontifications about stuff or whatever he like delivers them like like he's like this wizened old man who's really experienced the world and i was like he really seems like an idiot though and then i was like but does cormac mccarthy think he's an idiot but then obviously by the end of the book he uh makes it very clear just how uh dumb and wrong bell is so (laughs) yeah i thought that was interesting um uh i was like i i don't know i was i was curious which way the the bell monologues were going uh but i do like how his unreliability like unfolds slowly until it comes to like a point at the end Uh uh-huh um like when it reveals that uh, he just like ditched his men or whatever. In I the mean, war. yeah, that's a big reveal that like mm. contextualizes a lot of things. But also, it was just it also came together for me like in a just like a few lines at the end, like after he is like you know all this horrible stuff has happened and he's i think it's even after he reveals that he ditched his friends in the war to save himself and uh-huh. uh all that he starts going on about how the world's going to shit because there's kids out and about with like piercings and <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah for sure and like i felt like that was like uh the real key to like, wow, this guy doesn't get anything. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's like an old everything. boomer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't think he's supposed to be like totally unsympathetic or anything. Sure. Or like a terrible person, but, but I think he's supposed to represent a kind of way of looking at the world that is. Uh, constantly ignorant and confounded but not curious about why it's ignorant and confounded yeah, for sure does that make sense uh-huh he's just like wow all this stuff is this is so evil and <laughs> incomprehensible you know. yeah and like he's like i know he's like 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 a kind of moral absolutist where he's like everything's black and white in the world except that it's definitely not but i also refuse to like consider that (laughs) yeah for sure like that he because he has like a thing uh fairly early in the book about like oh you know that that the world is just comprised of like two halves it's like a bunch of people who you know like it's not hard to be a sheriff for the most part because Uh, A lot of people are just good and they want to govern themselves and participate in society. And then there's just a bunch of Satan's foot soldiers out there (laughs) just like trying to wreck it for all the nice people. Yeah. And I think what uh, lends his, you know, uh, point of view credibility within the world of the novel is that it is also written like that, like the mm-hmm. like. There's no context for why the sugar guy exists or is doing what <laughs> yeah. he's doing or anything like it. Like it is just like s- some evil people. <laughs> yeah, and then and then also uh, uh, like the the thing that sets the entire plot in motion. Like the money is there, the drugs are there. There's no explanation as to like why everyone just decided to shoot one another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's never really figured out or explained, right? Mm-hmm. No. I yeah, thought that, maybe I forgot something, but No, cuz yeah, the DEA agent shows up, but he doesn't really have any other leads either as to like 
what's going on. It's just like, well, something somebody got mad at somebody, and then yeah, it all went badly. Yeah, I mean, what I what what I like about like the bell narration and the book is like, well, you have a a sheriff and he's like investigating this crime, but like he's not doing anything. Yeah, like he doesn't really do anything like the most he does is like he has some insights into like what happened Uh on a at a crime scene and stuff like that but like he's just milling around doing whatever right and like um and he's very cowardly which Mm -hmm. like i i think the first time i read it because i went back and read some of it like the cowardly aspect of his character being like very front and center. I kind of alighted over that until sure. you get to the reveal about how he got a war medal for being a coward. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But there's like that, uh, he's telling like that anecdote in the beginning about how one time he tried to pull over these people and they just took out a gun and shot up his car. Uh-huh. And then he was like, so I just pulled over for some coffee and I really needed that coffee. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like He was like, I wasn't going back out there and people gave me a lot of shit for it. But, you know, when I see evil, I'm, I'm turning away from it and yeah, I'm not going to sure. look at it. And like, like he opens the book saying like, oh, there's like an evil guy out there. But um, but I'm gonna do everything in my power to like never meet this guy. <laughs> right. And he says, I don't know. So yeah, because he says, uh, yeah, he, he says the phrase like "soul at hazard." So it's like somehow it's risking more than your life. Like you, like you, like to look in the face of evil is like you don't just die, but yeah, maybe your soul dies too. Yeah. Yeah um But yeah, so that that happens, and there's like I think the other part. When he, I didn't reread over this part, so I might be re- misremembering. But when he like just misses Sugar and mm-hmm. the, I don't know how to pronounce his name, <laughs> Sugar. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wrote it Sugar <laughs> in my notes. Yeah, Sugar in the the I motel. Just it was funny. And like he knows he's probably in the parking lot, but what he does is he like drives outside and waits and like calls in backup to go <laughs> drive up and check out the yeah for situation. Sure. But he isn't like go with them he's like oh my idea is if anyone drives off i could follow them yeah yeah but i was like oh, i don't know convenient <laughs> yeah convenient self-reasoning there convenient plan uh-huh um yeah yeah i think i thought like yeah like coming at it from the beginning i was like well, what's up with this dude but then by the end i was like oh yeah like it really comes down hard the other way or whatever yeah, it's just kind of like a slow build to it. And I think it's also like, you know, I think the book is also presenting a world where this is like a believable worldview or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, yeah, I think that, that Cormac McCarthy is like playing a little bit of a, a trick or whatever, you know, I mean, like by the time he wrote this, he's like an old man and titling yeah. the book no country for old men it feels like a weird right wing screed or whatever <laughs> it does a little bit <laughs> but i like how it ends with his dream of his grandfather going into the dark with a lantern uh-huh. to light up the darkness yeah. and so it's like this idea that like oh and and older times things were so simple and if we just go back to tradition and how people did things then they're lighting the way and mm-hmm this and that but like the dream is like 
like creepy and indicates <laughs> that he that it's, I forget what it, how it ends exactly, but like I'll just he like can't quick. follow him, right? Yeah, They're like, like he pass can't. each other and the Something on the like horses. That. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, he rode past. I seen he was carrying a fire and a horn, the way people used to do it. And I could see the horn from the light inside of it about the color of the moon. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead and that he was fixing to make a fire somewhere out there and all that dark and all that cold. I knew that whenever I got there, he would be there. Uh-huh. And then I woke up. <laughs> yeah. Whenever he got there, With which he's never, never going to get there. Yeah, for sure. Is the implication. Uh-huh. You know, that there is, you know... That that his that his guideposts for his worldview are like illusory. <laughs> yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, and yeah. How and to be how to be in the world and s- stuff like that. Uh huh. Yeah, wh- which is also the thing that the the dude in the wheelchair talks to him about or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh yeah, things are, things used to be so much simpler because he has like the narration early on about. Oh, and I knew some sheriffs that didn't even carry a gun. People won't believe me when I tell you that, but, yeah, you know, it seems crazy to them, but they didn't. And then he's like, oh, yeah, there was that one guy, and then uh, some people just rode up and killed him or whatever, <laughs> and, and you know, that was a uh, 100 years ago. And Oh, yeah, there's also that funny part where he says he goes to testify in favor of some guy not going to prison or not getting the death, the death penalty, penalty or something. Yeah. And then he like goes up to him and he's like, oh, I did the best I could. And he, and the guy's basically like, what the fuck are you talking about? Were you born yesterday? Of course <laughs> I killed that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like always misreading. Yeah, he's just things. wrong about everybody all the yeah. time. <laughs> He says something about him being in diapers. He's like, do they keep you in diapers? Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was funny. And then the guy also makes a joke about how he thought he was doing all that because he wanted to have sex with him. Oh, was that part of it? He's like, I thought you were sweet on me. (laughs) Oh, that was another part of that. I forgot about it. Um. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. There's like a he's so he's so weird to like in the beginning, like on the first page when he's talking about how he went to that guy's execution. Uh huh. It's like he doesn't explain why he went. He just says, "I didn't have to go, but I did. I sure didn't want to." Right. <laughs> like, why? Why did he go? Yeah. <laughs> this felt like it was his duty. I guess uh-huh. that it was fulfilling the cycle of him putting doing the te- the testifying the testimony that led to his execution i guess for sure mm-hmm. and that yeah yeah so uh so then he uh, feels like he has a an obligation to see it all the way through to the end uh-huh. to witness the the consequences of his actions mm-hmm. in a way but yeah it's but it's just funny cuz it's like not he doesn't act like as a detective really he, there's no confrontation with the the villain or anything yeah it's all about avoiding that confrontation mm-hmm. and yeah and he doesn't and he doesn't help anybody yeah he doesn't save that guy he yeah he doesn't get uh, save moss or uh uh moss's girlfriend what's her name 
Llewellyn and Llewellyn. No, Llewellyn's that, that's him. Yeah, Carla Jean. Carla Jean. Yeah. Yep. Uh. But. But um. But yeah. Otherwise, I thought I thought the book was the some of the dialogue and stuff was really funny. Uh-huh. Um, like I really like that part when he goes to the gas station attendant and he makes him like flip the coin uh-huh. and he's just like asking really, he's just like challenging him on every little thing. <laughs> right. Like he's like, what time do you go to bed? And like, uh, what time do you close? And telling him well, he doesn't know, he, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't know anything. Yeah, uh, I wish I'd written down what page what page that was, but it was funny. Uh, oh, I've, I'm sure I've got it here. Um, do, 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 oh wait, do. I think I I think I found it. Fifty six. Yeah, what time do you close? Generally around dark. You don't know what you're talking about, do you, <laughs> sir? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, do you? I'm talking about closing. That's what I'm talking about. What time do you go to bed, <laughs> sir? <laughs> you're a bit deaf, aren't you? I said, what time do you go to bed? I say around 9.30, somewhere around 9.30. I could come back then. <laughs> said, we'll be closed then. That's all right. <laughs> Why would you be coming back? We'll be closed. <laughs> You said that. <laughs> well, we will. <laughs> you live in the house behind the store. Oh, yeah. And then he makes fun of it. He says you married into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, married into this. <laughs> this this shitty, shitty gas station. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have some way to put it. That's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, uh, Sugar also has, like, sort of a funny uh, worldview or whatever where he's... Um, like he has an idea of the world as like uh somehow just like a collection of just like events and that like you know uh, like he almost has like a fatalistic idea of the world where he's just like well you know like when he's talking to uh someone somebody saying like uh, like Carl Jean being like you don't have to do this and he's like yeah people always say that you don't have to do this but like we're here doing this like every moment of your life led to this moment so there's no way to not do this moment now that yeah. it's here it's, this is where i can, this is where it ended up yeah yeah his philosophy is like weird like i can't wrap my head around it i was like what <laughs> yeah but uh but it has it still has something to do with like a kind of fadedness that everything's just like that the People aren't really actors in their own stories or whatever. It's like predetermination or something. Yeah. yeah. Um. But. Yeah, I like. Um, I mean, I like I like the the length of. I mean, it's not a long book, but like how long it takes for a lot of things. It's just like a lot of descriptions of. Just like people doing very small things, like even the beginning with um, <laughs> Llewellyn, like uh, setting up to shoot the animal, like he takes his mm-hmm. boot off and then he uses it as like a st- steady so he doesn't steady his 
gun on the rock and i was like oh wow i never even heard of something like that but that makes sense the leather's a little bit softer cushier not as uh, easier mm-hmm. to hold the gun steady but i bet that's what a lot of hunters do weird stuff like that yeah there's some nice nice sentences in that section too mm-hmm. yeah to look oh, up yeah. what a bar- burial is or oh bar- yeah i had to look up all those like landscape terms mm-hmm. i remember that from blood meridian i was like what are those <laughs> fucking names for rocks and the desert <laughs> yeah scree <laughs> talus yeah uh yeah, I, I like this sentence. The pale orange dust that hung in the windless morning light grew faint, and then it too was gone. Mm-hmm. Some nice rhythm to a lot of those simple descriptions. Uh-huh. And yeah, it is interesting, like how the book is very engaging, even though it has like a lot of like very minimalist, like he did this, he did that, like, he washed his hands, he started the car, he did the blah, 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 like, like, it'll have, like, a lot of passages uh-huh. like that, back to back, um, and, and it's interesting contrast, like, because, you know, to have, like, these sections that are all, you know, action, third person with no, like, interiority, right, with, like, contrasting with like bell's you know like monologue yeah uh, the disembodied monologue uh-huh and um he does a lot of pontificating yeah yeah but there's no exposition or pontificating in the in the rest of the book it's just uh-huh. like it's just written like a like it's a movie or whatever for sure um i think occasionally we'll say he thought something to himself, yeah, for but sure. it'll be like very literal uh-huh. and just very like direct, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, so I like, I like the minimalism of it. I like that there, there's no commas. I think I found, I think I saw literally one comma that wasn't a dialogue comma. Yeah in the whole book but i forgot to mark it but i swear there was only one that makes sense but i mean i only noticed the ones for uh you know before said or whatever yeah since he's not using no quotation marks and very mm-hmm. few apostrophes yeah uh, he Don't obviously likes a like clean a page of, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> doesn't like Just to mark longer. it all up mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but it reads really smoothly like i didn't have any issues with the the dialogue following the dialogue and stuff it's weird how he's able to like handle like the switch like so you know immediately someone's talking yeah yeah i think there was only one part late but it was my fault because i missed uh one of the parts but later on when uh bell's talking to that other sheriff the one in the wheelchair um i got I got really mixed up who was who because I was like, wait a second, uh, didn't Bell get a medal in the war? Who's this? And then it was like talking about something else, but then I realized it was just the other guy talking or whatever. Um, do you need to do something? Yeah, yeah, one sec. All right, and we're back. Oh, but about confusing when he's talking to his dad, did you say? Or the other, wait. The guy in the wheelchair. It's the, not his dad. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like 
someone who worked with his dad or his grandpa yes. his grandpa I think. it's like his uncle maybe yeah i think it says his uncle but about confusing them like i also noticed that anytime the cops are talking to each other it's like totally frictionless dialogue like uh-huh. they're just agreeing with each other <laughs> right. it's just like an echo chamber like when he's talking to like wendell uh like the dialogue is all stuff like um there ain't nobody here no reason not to be careful that's right no reason in the world (laughs) (laughs) and then uh let's just keep to that careful routine yes sir (laughs) um uh you could weigh this thing and measure the distance and the drop and calculate the speed i expect you could pretty good speed yes sir pretty good speed (laughs) (laughs) i believe they done it lick a shuck i do too kindly in a hurry about it too yep (laughs) 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 so like all the dialogue between like the sheriffs and cops is just like that where Uh they're just like uh (laughs) affirming what the other person said over and over again (laughs) it just sounds really stupid (laughs) yeah that's really funny (laughs) i don't think i noticed it yeah yeah it's it's pretty consistent there's Uh there's no friction between between any of the cops at all they're just like oh you know that's good i acknowledge what you said i agree (laughs) good stuff in the kind of like mindless way Uh uh-huh um uh, on a different thing, oh, I was—I mean, like obviously the comparison. I, I assume lots of people make or whatever with Cormac McCarthy to Flannery O'Connor or whatever in some ways or in others, but but I did notice that it's like a, a I guess maybe more contemporary or different twist on things, like that that uh, partially or mostly even what ends up. Uh, doing moss in is is not just that he takes the money but that he feels bad and decides to go back and try and get that guy some water yeah because mm-hmm. if fucks he just him over yeah because if he just skipped town right away or whatever uh with carla jean then there's a chance he could have gotten away he would have had a head start yeah. yeah but uh that's f- that's funny. I didn't think about it, but it does remind me of the villain and a good man is hard to find, uh-huh. where he's just like killing people for no reason. Yeah, yeah. I was a misfit. Thinking, uh-huh. Anton Sugar. Um. Yeah, and then and then it comes up again, uh, like when in the confrontation in the hotel that Moss actually gets the drop on sugar at first. And then, uh, like is like drop your gun and stuff. And then things go badly and he mm-hmm. uh, has to get out of there, but he had a chance to just blast him away and yeah. stop everything. But he doesn't actually, uh, I know he, he, he's not, uh, he's not quite ruthless enough to be that type of person. Yeah. Unlike, uh, unlike sugar or Wells, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like how anticlimactic that is. It reminds me of like the the Shining or whatever that this yeah. like smooth operator who's like, 
I'm on the same level as this other dude, and it's like gonna be like a battle of wits. But then he just like finds him right away and shoots him. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, because it does set him up like, oh, he's like some weirdo mastermind as well. It's yeah. gonna be a meeting at the mines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, I do feel like this book intentionally like frustrates some like narrative devices and uh-huh. turns them around and stuff. <laughs> like the, yeah, because it, it takes so yeah, <laughs> it takes so long to set him up. Like he has that really long conversation and like the fancy pants like top of the skyscraper or whatever. And uh-huh. then and then he shows up and he has like the conversation with Moss and he's like you're just not cut out for this business. Not like me. Huh? <laughs> yeah. and, and then he goes back to his hotel and <laughs> she was just like, here I am. Time for you to die. Well, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I was wondering if you think, cause it's what you were thinking about. If it's just like incidental to the characters and time and location. I mean, well, it would, it's, it's not incidental anyway. Sure. But like the way Bell and a lot of the cops talk about like the drug dealers sounds like they're like they easily conflate just like Mexican guys uh-huh. with drug dealers like 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 they almost like use it interchangeably. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, like in a way. Uh, which like their and their experience might be almost literally true just like because of the nature of their job and what cops are supposed to do and whatever but like but they still the way they talk about them like they'll say like dead mexicans and stuff Uh like that that feels like like more racist (laughs) yeah for sure and um and well, I, I would assume it's still the same in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> as far as cops yeah. are concerned. And it is also a really small town. I looked it up. What, I forget what the name of it is. Carson or something like that. Oh, yeah. The book mentioned Uvalde or whatever that place is where that shooting was. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, weird. This is the only the second time I've ever heard that city name. Yeah. Um, fuck. What is it called? I forget. Uh, whatever the town uh-huh. is where he's the sheriff. But, mm. like, to this day, it still has, like, a population of, like, 3,000 people. It's, like, nothing. Mm. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, but I was... Th- but also... But the reason why I thought it might be, like, more than just, like, time and place and character is because earlier in the book, it describes Sugar's having icy blue eyes. Uh-huh. But then later, I think when the kid or someone is describing him... They describe him as like dark complexed, maybe Mexican, which obviously like it could it it can both things can be true, but it felt sure. like intentional that it was like uh racially ambiguous or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like dependent on, <laughs> on who's, who's asking the questions yeah, yeah. also. Yeah, for sure. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and yeah, I mean I guess it also is not by accident that the movie takes place. I mean, the book takes place in 1980, like the year that Reagan was elected or whatever. And yeah, the, you know, just beginning of the real, the real start of the war on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was already started under Nixon cracking down on drug stuff, but obviously Reagan like took it to a whole new level that continued for well until Mm. for now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to read. I didn't want to read other takes on the 
book yet. Sure. But yeah, I'm curious what people make what of. What people make of that. That stuff. Um, or if people read it like you did, that Cormac McCarthy likes um, cops and Reagan and stuff. <laughs> I feel like That's not how I read it. <laughs> I meant like your, I was just guessing your letterboxed review. I don't know. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, well, we can get into it once we start talking about the movie, since it's more pertinent to that conversation. Since I hadn't actually read the book or whatever. Yeah, I would say I would say like my impression. I don't feel like the book is like about politics or political. I think it's more like like worldviewy. Yeah, for sure. You know, like more metaphysical, but uh-huh. obviously, like you said, it does take place at a specific city in a specific time and place. Like real real things mm-hmm. you know oh yeah at one point bell says that there's no actual laws for for a sheriff in texas oh yeah there's like no requirements to become a sheriff and stuff like that but also like that the that they're that they they basically have like free reign to do whatever they want supposedly oh yeah when he's talking about how it's like a lot of power and he's like that's a little bit weird huh yeah <laughs> Because, yeah, because it is, like, very strange that, uh, and I was like, well, I guess that does sound like Sheriff, uh, like, Texas. I bet that, I bet that was true back then. It was just like, well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're just, you're just vested with the power of the state and. What were you saying? Yeah, uh, we're back after a brief, almost technical mishap. Uh, uh, ah, shit, I forgot what I was saying. It's not important, probably. Um. Oh, about about cops just like have uh, their the the sheriffs just have like like that there are laws in cities and so like city police officers have specific laws that they're supposed to follow and everything like that. But like county sheriffs, there's no county laws, so they're basically just like uh, agents of the state able to use their discretion as they please that's creepy yeah (laughs) i mean texas is a wild place um do you want to move on to the movie yeah yeah i mean i have a bunch of notes but a lot of them can be uh woven in in conjunction to to the film Uh, Do you want to take a break real quick before we get into the movie? Sure. All right, and we're back. Uh, Time to start talking about the movie No Country for Old Men from 2007. The best picture of 2007, uh, along with the best director. Uh, Can you get closer? (laughs) You're freaking me out again. I'm just as close as I was. Go on. All right. So, uh, you had seen this movie before, but it had been a really long time. What did you think of the movie? Yeah, I saw it, I think, when it was new. Uh-huh. Um, I remember liking it at the time, but I didn't remember very much about it. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought it was watchable. There yeah. were parts that I liked. Um, there was, like, some things that were a little grating, um, but when the, when it was very close to the book, I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really, um, 
there's a couple moments that are like almost exactly like he wrote them, uh-huh. even though they're like extremely like unimportant things. And I was like, oh, that's cool that they're that it's like a very faithful adaptation. Um, so I did like it as an exercise as a very faithful adaptation. Um, and I think you don't, you probably don't like him, but I did think, uh, what's his name, Javier Bardem. Uh huh. I think I think he was fun. Uh, I like his voice a lot, um, mm. and I liked his styling. <laughs> yeah, he looks really stupid. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that the movie and book take place in like 1980. So in my memory, I was like, why does he look like that in the uh-huh. movie? I because I just vaguely remembered his haircut and <laughs> his stupid everything, haircut. and I was like, why is he styled like that? But then I was like, oh, it, it like makes a little more sense. He, but it's like funny because. He like looks a little bit hip, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. why is he? Because <laughs> 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 his hair is just like a hairstyle people had then. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> this is really funny to me. Yeah. Anyway, what did you think? Um. Yeah. I mean, I liked it more than uh the the last time that I watched it, which is when I wrote that review. Uh, but you know, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, I think I still have some issues with the movie that I sort of brought up in my review and I think are like a little bit about why, um, why I just had like a negative impression of McCarthy overall. Cause I do think that the movie makes bell more sympathetic. Like he's not a coward in the movie instead of, uh, hiding or whatever. Um, he goes in the motel when sugar might be right there and like tries to look for him and stuff like that, which feels like a very weird and intentional change that, uh, I'm not crazy about. And then they also cut out the, him telling the story about like getting shot at and just being like, I just let those dudes go. <laughs> and, and also cut out the big story about him being a coward in the war. Like it was like so much that I was like, did Tommy Lee Jones be like, I'm not going to do it if if I don't, if I have to play like a, a weenie. I have no idea. Cause it was almost like they should have just done away with that character totally or rewrote that character or something because, because yeah, it was the other stuff, the sugar and, and moss stuff that I felt like was worked. adapted well and worked. But, but yeah, because they leave out like important things about the character and because like in the book it's all monologue Uh like just having him briefly say do a monologue i think only at the very beginning yeah the narration is only at the very beginning and then the the ending monologue is him talking to his wife or whatever which yeah instead of just talking to the you know audience (laughs) yeah so obviously any kind of like nuance or ambiguity or unreliability or whatever about bell is totally gone and he's just um an old dude feeling sad about the world and it's pretty straightforward and one note yeah yeah that's that was my feeling so like i mean my my review and just like my general opinion was based on this idea where i was just like well like is this just like a, a conservative idea of just like, oh, like the world's really going to hell and look at all this terrible stuff or whatever. And and just like not really counterbalancing that at all or undermining it. Like 
because it because it does like I had no idea going into the book uh you know all this other stuff was in there so like I I didn't know how I was going to read that's what I meant going into it where I was like oh this guy seems like kind of a dummy but does Cormac McCarthy think he's a dummy because it feels like the Coens uh have like a a pretty strong sympathy for the Tommy Lee Jones character at least as they as they decided what was cut and what wasn't or whatever yeah it's just it's just straightforward sympathetic character that's not Mm -hmm. like um like his his ineffectualness feels like beyond his control yeah that it's not like a personality flaw um does you know what i mean it's not a character flaw or anything yeah for sure it's just it's just you know it's just that everyone is. is ineffectual in the face of this overwhelming evil which is mm-hmm. uh mexico <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and the cartels which i think is also an interesting uh or telling change or whatever because the coens decide to make like how Llewellyn gets killed into like sort of a joke like a joke on carla jean's annoying mom because she's uh. like remember they're like going to the bus station and oh and she talks to that guy she says something about oh, a mexican so nice. in a suit or yeah, something yeah, so yeah. Nice to meet a nice mexican and yeah. he's just like part of the cartel who's there to spy on her or whatever and he's like oh yeah what hotel are you i know some people in del rio what hotel are you staying at and then like it cuts you know later then you just see as they're pulling up like well i'm getting killed so the implication is that she told them the hotel name and then Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and but i think the implication in the book is that they have like the sheriff and everyone else's like phones bugged and that's how they find it out because carla jean calls bell and then they show up at the hotel and kill moss or whatever i think that's right because uh i don't remember specifics but i did write down somewhere that his phone was tapped but i can't remember why i thought that but that's probably true if you also yeah so then so then i think that's like another change that sort of uh like goes against what i feel like mccarthy is getting at because like even and that in that way it feels like it's another thing of well of bell just being like dumb or whatever but also of him uh like um what was the word i was looking for oh that like you know like that the police are this like pure force or whatever and you know he's just like part of this thing or whatever but like for all he knows there's like corrupt people in the police department that are helping the cartels out and everything but yeah that all that whole idea this like idea of like the far-reaching implications into the u.s government that the cartel might have are mm-hmm. like totally uh, instead of just like a, an annoying old lady like the cohen's yeah uh, like or whatever it's like yeah characters i mean yeah i think it's just like in an effort to streamline his character the result is that you've you've made a more ideologically problematic <laughs> piece of work (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) you know Uh uh-huh so like but it is it is nice to read the book and be like oh the book isn't like that and i wasn't exactly wrong in reading the movie that way that they did uh yeah sort of like not get what the book is about because i feel like the book is really 
you know, on the nose for the last like 40 pages about just mm-hmm. like what Bell's about and like how, mm-hmm. uh, like what the implications of his worldview are and yeah, uh, how McCarthy thinks they're dumb or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. But but yeah, I mean, I do like uh, I mean, I think some of the the shootout stuff is fun in the hotel and like just like I mean, it's all in the book, but I was always impressed watching the movie, especially the first time, like just how much the the movie is, uh, you know, like the action within it is like visualized very well. And just like the characters, you know, are sort of uh, outsmarting each other all the time or whatever in mm-hmm. sort of clever and elaborate ways. Obviously, McCarthy came up with most of that, but but they mm-hmm. do a good job of visualizing it for the for mm-hmm. the action scenes although it is funny that it's a coen brothers movie that's like that has way less jokes than the book does like i think the book is funnier mm-hmm. than the movie like they cut out the joke which is the best that we talked about before when uh they're like riding up to the crime scene and bell's like oh put the horses over there they shouldn't have to see this Oh yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that one. I thought that was I thought that was really funny. And yeah, also like um they they make their conversations a little bit more productive. They still yeah. have like a kind of um superficial cant to them a rhythm of agreement or whatever, but but they feel they feel more productive than uh-huh. they do in the book. Uh, so there's like less of that ineffectuality. Although it's like a little bit there. Although I feel like they only play it for the joke. I feel like the Coen brothers sometimes go, they get a little too much or too corny for me, their sense of humor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... They I lean think... into it a little too hard. But sometimes it still worked. Like the like I did the interaction that I thought was funny with Sugar with the the gas station attendant was still funny to me. In the I mean, movie. but that, that, that gas station attendant, his, uh, I mean, uh, I remember this from the last time that I watched the movie, but I was like, this dude's like my favorite performance. in the <laughs> yeah, movie. He's, he like, just, he's not playing it up. He just looks all shifty. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> just like, he's, yeah, he's confused <laughs> and upset and is like slowly realizing that this is really serious. And he's in, he's <laughs> potentially in a lot of hot water or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, like, like I think he really nails the tone to like mm-hmm. make it a really funny scene, and I was like, wow, that's really good. Because conversely, I feel like uh, the guy who plays Wendell, he's like really hamming it up to the point where like often it seems like him and Tommy Lee Jones are just like in different movies. It feels really weird when they're talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really like that Wendell guy either for the same reasons. Um. And he kind of just like shouldn't even be in the movie, maybe. But he just yeah. like Bell needs someone else. To, Tommy Neelitz, <laughs> Jones needs someone to talk to. Yeah, he can't him. just wander around, uh, just like monologuing to himself or whatever. I guess. Yeah, but um, but I oh, did... they also cut. I'm sorry, before you, sure. I just saw it in my note. But they also cut the part, um, like at the very beginning when uh, Sugar pulls that guy over. 
And then he's like, step step out of the vehicle, sir, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's like, can you please step away from the car? And then he kills him. And he's like, I just didn't want to get blood on the car. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why'd they cut that out? That seemed like such a corny movie one-liner. Yeah, that you could, sure. I was like, why'd they cut it out? They were like, oh, McCarthy went too far with the corny one-liner here. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the dialogue and sections were really close. Like in the action and like even like weird stuff oh for no this this part when uh moss first he's like out hunting and he sees that dog that's uh-huh. when he first knows something's like weird uh he glassed the train slowly crossing that ground was a large tailless dog black in color he watched it. It had a huge head and cropped ears, and it was limping badly. It paused and stood. It looked behind it. Then it went on. He lowered the glasses and stood watching it go. Like, that dog in the movie does exactly that action. Yeah, it's weird. It looks just like that, and it pauses, and it looks behind, and then it goes on. And I was like, well, it's weird that they just, like, such a little detail. They did it, like, exactly. Uh-huh as written and i think there was like a lot of little things like that where they just did it exactly yeah i wonder i mean it's crazy to think about or whatever like uh that they like how do you train a dog to like fake limp yeah that was also that's why that one stood out to me because i was like oh they had to like direct this dog to do this (laughs) yeah these things i don't know it's weird i don't think it was a cgi dog in that scene yeah uh yeah because i don't think i don't even think the other dog is cgi uh like i think they alternate between using like a a real dog and like some kind of um oh there's kind of a puppet with a dead dog yeah yeah Yeah. like that he shoots or whatever which is an addition but that i didn't mind because i was like oh like if you're not gonna have the other part like this is a good way to like raise the stakes because that sequence goes on for a really long time in the book where he's like hiding in the ravine and then they like try and follow him down and it goes on for a long time. And he's like swimming in the ravine. And I think, you know, you can only do so much to make it look very violent and scary having an actual actor swimming in the yeah, ravine. Sure. So yeah. The, the having the dog. the dog is yeah. like a good way to, yeah. Uh, and then, um, I guess also just like, uh, no, no. Showing, showing Moss not being a super great dude or whatever. Because mm-hmm. he kills the dog? Yeah, well, I mean, you know. Well, the dog was going to eat him. Well, I know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, I mean, like in, the, in the general sense, like the Hollywood sense of like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like a character shooting a dog is bad. <laughs> uh-huh. Not, not in that specific situation, but. Yeah, I think even actually even in the book, he comes off more like even more like a hapless kind of well not hapless but like like a good person or something that's like in a situation where he can't he can't turn away from and he has to he has to make this choice or whatever Uh um because of money (laughs) or whatever but but you know but yeah yeah, he seems a but in the movie he's a little bit more just like some dude i guess yeah for sure yeah, I think... Uh, oh, I guess I'm thinking of the scene in the book because he gives that runaway girl a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And then and then that's 
what gets him killed and gets her killed and gets her killed it's Uh, like similar to the water thing yeah for sure yeah and i mean i guess it makes sense because even though the book is short like to fit it in a two-hour movie you have to cut some stuff out so it sort of makes sense yeah uh like cutting that whole thing basically but Mm -hmm. but there's some fun stuff in there in the book Mm -hmm. yeah that's good but uh Oh, and uh, that's what I was going to mention. Another thing in terms of like the humor or whatever is just like the extremity of the the like fucked up hotel that like <laughs> that because, you know, he like kills the attendant or whatever before he has the shootout with Moss. But then like he comes back and there's like a new attendant working there and then eventually Sugar kills him, too. Mm hmm. And they cut that second uh, shooting the attendant part <laughs> out. Like, eh, maybe a little too much for them, but I, yeah. thought, I thought that was funny. Just like a, like the worst hotel of all time. Like, why is it still open? Yeah, I know. It's like the next day the guy's like working there. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't even want to take this job, but I needed the money. Yeah. It's really funny that it would only be closed for like a night. Yeah after there's blood everywhere and a dead person people gotta have some place to stay i guess uh i mean yeah i read i read in the wikipedia that i mean obviously the border thing's not real they just built like a fake mm-hmm. set or whatever but it is wild that you used to just be able to walk back and forth across the uh-huh. border to mexico you don't need a passport or an id or anything really yeah, especially if you're a white person. I don't think yeah, anyone sure. cares was the idea, yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah, I think uh, the movie uh, the movie also, I feel like, I don't know, like maybe they're worried about something. Maybe this is some kind of studio note, but like the movie sets up the tracking device almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like they, the, the two dudes talk about it before... Um, before sugar kills them or kills them or whatever he's like you got the transponder or whatever uh, the receiver and he's like yeah and then gives it to him and then he shoots them or whatever yeah i kind of like that in the movie though because like the when he's like driving back and forth listening to it uh-huh. and stuff you it's know it's a little bit creepy yeah and because like there's yeah the movie does more scenes from like sugar's point of view uh-huh. rather than him just like appearing <laughs> right yeah An apparition yeah yeah but uh how do you feel about woody harrelson i didn't i didn't really like him in that um yeah. it, it's weird casting it, seemed, he, it doesn't really make sense he seemed awkward or something like, yeah he seemed like he didn't really know what he was doing he looked uncomfortable uh-huh yeah, there was something about it, but he wasn't in it for very much. <laughs> sure. But it was still like a big role. Yeah, yeah. It's an important part of the overall structure or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I read, I think maybe it was on Wikipedia that uh, Josh Brolin talked about like feeling really uncomfortable making the movie because he was like, which one? Who's Josh Brolin? He plays Moss Llewellyn. Oh, that's Josh Brolin. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, he like that because his character has not very much dialogue or whatever. He's like, oh, dialogue's like that's like a you know your anchor as an actor or whatever. Like you kind of hide behind your dialogue and 
control your performance through your delivery. But then, you know, when you're not talking, you just kind of have to hope you're making the right face and stuff. And that the Coen brothers like weren't, weren't that helpful. Like they didn't like be like, Oh yeah, good work. Good work. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like he said that the only time he ever heard them say that on set was there was like one take where like Woody Harrelson, like couldn't remember his lines and was just like stumbling through everything. And they're like, that was great. <laughs> I could see that he looked uncomfortable and like, I could see it. Maybe he was just trying to remember his lines. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but he, he looked like he felt, like he wasn't doing it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I didn't like it. Like I was like, why did the Coen brothers like this? Like, yeah. it, like, you know, I mean, obviously it's, a, it's like a small part and they probably shot all his stuff really quick. So he, it might be that he didn't have a ton of time to prep. So he just kind of showed up and then, but, but yeah, like, like it takes me out of it. Cause he's like, uh, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, seeing through to Woody Harrelson yeah lost performer instead of (laughs) you know it's true yeah he he was pretty bad everyone else was fine though oh except for Wendell I didn't like Wendell either yeah um oh but more on like some of the cornier humor humor or just like leaning too hard into the corny humor I guess is what Uh the Coen brothers tend to do or whatever um like that part when it's just like a little part, but it really bugged me when he, he crosses into Mexico and he's like bleeding and stuff. Uh-huh. And then he just falls asleep on a step and he wakes up to a mariachi band. Right. It's like four in the morning <laughs> Yeah. and there's a mariachi band standing around him singing. Uh huh. And then in the book, I think it's just some old guy. Yeah, it's some old guy who's uh, just sweeping or whatever. Yeah, it's like and a... And he's like, hey, yeah. can you get me a doctor? And the guy's like, sure. Yeah. So they're like, we got to make this... We got to put something here to make this more visually interesting or something. But I was like, but this makes no sense. Uh-huh. Why are these people up at four in the morning uh-huh. singing to like homeless men on the steps? Uh-huh. Just because they thought it like would look silly. But it like took me out because it was too silly and too nonsensical. Yeah. And also like, like why would they still keep playing when they can see that he's just like covered in blood and stuff? Yeah. Like even if you didn't, they didn't notice the blood right away, which I don't know how you wouldn't. Cause it was like all over him. Right. Like, he was clearly uh, a mess and possibly dead. <laughs> like, yeah. so, they, so I was like, none, like it took me out because it was just like, if it, it, it just feels like a little, cause the movie is dark, sure. uh, but it is also like comedic, but it was just like too, too silly, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. Anyway, there's a couple, there's, I think there's a couple other small things like that, but I mean, there were small moments, but they did really take me out. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm also not crazy about the rearranging of the chronology at the end. So that ends with the scene of Carla Jean or whatever. Getting killed. Well, it doesn't end end there. Like he walks off and then Bell talks and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What else happens? But he has, his, he has his dream after that. Yeah, but that's just part of the monologue. Yeah. The book. Mm-hmm. I just uh, can't think of what actually happens in the book. After oh, that. sure. Uh, well, 
for one, the scene with the wheelchair happens afterwards. Oh, okay, that's what it is. Yeah, and also there's the I mean there's a whole bunch of other scenes that are cut out, like him talking to the boys about, uh, you know, seeing the dude and the guy tells him the kid tells him they got money and we're told to pretend they didn't see yeah. him and stuff and blah blah blah. Oh yeah, I mean, all that stuff was cut out, which is yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, that's it's fine to cut that stuff out, but but I think. You know, but but then there's so much talk in the wheelchair scene and uh, around that about Belle quitting, and it's like the the actually worst part hasn't happened yet. Versus like in the book, like you know, it's not just Moss dying and uh, everything, but also like Carla Jean and just like just this general like feeling of like not being up for this job anymore but it doesn't really yeah like it doesn't play out the same partly because of the changes to bell's character but i think also it makes it a little weirder to have have that scene happen after he's already decided to retire or whatever yeah for sure i just i found that whole scene i mean we we put off doing this podcast but i think we watched this about six days ago yeah a little bit Um, more but yeah but most of the stuff a lot of the stuff in the movie is pretty vivid in my mind, but the stuff with Belle is really hazy. And like that conversation with the guy in the wheelchair's uncle or her friend, whoever it is in the movie, it might even be changed. Uh huh. His well, dad? They definitely, no, in it's the not movie? his dad. No, it's not his dad. Maybe it's but, his grandpa in the movie. No, it's not his grandpa because they reference his grandpa in the. But they did change one thing, which is that in the book his grandpa was a sheriff but then his dad wasn't and then he went back to sheriffing because he was so inspired by his grandpa and thought he was like a cool guy or whatever yeah uh like this heroic legacy or whatever yeah and that's not in the in the movie it's just like coming from a long line of sheriffs or whatever which has again sort of different implications yeah um but yeah, that scene like I just like barely remember it because I the was like, scene? yeah, the, the you keep calling it the wheelchair scene, <laughs> the wheelchair b- guy. guy. Well, I don't um, know his name. I, I, know. I guess it's offensive or whatever. But but it's just funny how you keep calling it the wheelchair scene. <laughs> uh, but I I I don't know. I just my vague impression was that there's some there was some lines of dialogue similar to the book, but maybe because it wasn't making any impression on me otherwise i just sure. don't remember it very well <laughs> yeah that's fine yeah yeah i mean i don't think i think the i mean i think the way the book writes the car crash is better than the way the movie handles it um mm-hmm. in the book it's just sort of like the scene with carla jean and then there's like a a you know a space like a time jump space and then it just opens with him getting hit versus Mm -hmm. in the movie he like walks out and gets in the car and it's like lingering on the car for a really long time and it feels like it's a little bit like telegraphing that something weird's about to happen because like why do we have these scenes of him just driving for so long maybe it's hard it's hard for me to say because i read the book so i knew it was coming Um, yeah but like probably Mm -hmm. um but I mean, telegraphing isn't necessarily bad because that could be part of the tension is like, oh, so something's going to happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but then, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, the makeup effect is really gross, though, with his bloody eye. Oh, that. that was so gross. Yeah, this movie was really gross. Like, uh, I mean, the book's very gross. Yeah, but yeah, the book is gross. Like, the first scene with him getting out of the cuffs and choking that guy is really gross in the book. Uh-huh. And it's weird going back, when I went back to the book, that's only, like, not even three pages that Uh whole scene i was like whoa like this is like so concise but like so much happens here it's it's very uh vivid on my mind Uh but but i did like how the opening scene was done in the movie too it was very distressing like all the scuff marks from his shoes and stuff and just like how long it takes in Uh the movie uh, and his horrible face while he's doing it was really upsetting yeah uh but yeah there's like a lot of like cutting and bleeding in the movie dripping blood and yeah like when he pours his, the blood out of his boot after he gets oh shot. god <laughs> that was so horrible and then the yeah his eye at the end yeah it was the very sticking out of his arm. yeah it was very yeah the violent like i thought the violence was bordering on like horror movie violence because uh-huh. it was like I don't know. It wasn't just like someone getting shot and blah, blah. It was like really gross. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that's fair for, yeah. for the source material. There's a lot of descriptions of uh, blood and stuff. Like even, even that scene in the, of the uh, cop getting strangled or whatever. Uh, like that's in the book that like, like it cuts his jugular and just sprays blood everywhere or whatever. So. Yeah. They just they just they just filmed what was there, but yeah, it is a little bit grosser to see it than to read it. Um. Oh, also, I have forgot. Just mm-hmm. it's not important, but because I hadn't seen the movie since it came out, for some reason, I thought they had changed it so Moss didn't die in the movie. Oh, that, I funny. thought I remembered that he didn't die. So when he did die in the movie, I was like, oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does die in this one. Because uh-huh. for some reason, I had the memory that he got away with it at the end. That he oh, got the funny. money somehow. But I don't know why I had this had this like false memory. Oh, well, I mean, he dies off screen, so I guess you know. Uh, up or, until that point, he does basically get very lucky and outsmart. Uh, yeah, I thought sugar or whatever. I think I thought that maybe he, maybe he didn't get away with it. Like he turned in the money, but that he, he but that die. he was fine or something. Uh, and I think the way that the movie kind of goes along gives you the feeling that that might happen yeah like it doesn't really set you up for that this is a doomed man right you know whereas like in the book i feel like it's a little bit more leaning into that this guy's doomed and it's just a matter of time yeah because i think he does uh i mean uh like the way he talks to wells is, is basically the same but tonally it does feel different in the movie and then when he calls or whatever and and like says like a one-liner thing and hangs up uh, when he's talking to Sugar. Um, I think, yeah, like it does feel like they're basically as smart as one another in the movie. Like the that they both shoot each other, but they both survive, and then they both yeah. recover. So then, you know, you think there's going to be like another showdown, which I think is like sort of also set up in the 
in the book that like it's you know something of a a surprise that he just gets shot by other people from the cartel instead yeah when he dies it's like surprising in the book like you don't you don't see it coming at that time or whatever right yeah so that's that's definitely similar in the movie Uh but but i think that they uh maybe the the Coens were like less interested in all that, so they're just kind of like, well, I'll just leave him alone for a while, and then he'll be dead. And it, it also changed it. I mean, which is also fine, I guess. But that uh, you know, real movie happenstance that uh, uh, Bell's like driving up right as he's getting shot, basically. Like the guys are like yeah. shooting and driving away. Yeah, and I like that. I thought, and I like that they didn't. Because in the book, it's like he just—he's just dead now. Like you don't oh. see what happens, basically, and like you, someone talks about what happened. Or yeah, for sure. But like, it's not written in the book, and then in the movie, it's the same thing. Like they just show up and he's dead. Yeah, I feel like a lot of other adaptations would have that be a scene. Yeah, it'd be hard to get a—it's—it's uh, it's hard to get away with the idea of killing your main character off screen or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is good that they kept it that way. Uh huh. Even though it's a very mean trick, <laughs> it's very rude. Into the it audience. is. It is rude. And it's like because it's not a cathartic death at all. Because you mm. don't see it, mm. and you you like. So you're just like, well, what was this confrontation between this two that uh, is supposed to have been ha- happening? Yeah. Or pending. Yeah. What well, uh, What was the cer- uh, situation where uh, this time Moss wasn't smart enough to see it coming and. Yeah. Finally got it or whatever after being pretty pretty smart about stuff for Yeah, so it's like kind of it's like a rude nihilistic way to like kill someone off. Yeah, for sure. Um Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I think we covered almost everything. Like it's uh you know. Yeah, I mean I I'm I'm glad we're on the same page. It's like definitely not very close to like one of my favorite Cohen movies. But I did like it a little bit more than I guess I'm just more or less I care less about things being and problematic and annoying like they could still annoy me, but uh doesn't sink other things about it totally, yeah, I mean it's just it's like to me I mean it's like it's like a little annoying that the 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 movie has this like ideology or whatever but if but it feels it feels very incidental like Uh and it doesn't and but because of that it's like not important to the movie and then it's just kind of like there uh you know what i mean (laughs) yeah but i think yeah i think a lot of that is just like that the cohen's are uh just like they're not interested in politics really at yeah all. they're thinking as filmmakers like yeah. how to how to m- m- simplify this character for the screen and blah 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 and stuff like that and then but when you do that then you end up leaning on you know tropes or other tropes, you especially. i mean it, it, well it's easy to because sure. they're around in the ether and stuff so it's just like an easy way to mm-hmm streamline it or whatever yeah i yeah i i I see what you're saying but it's also yeah makes the movie less good than it could have been yeah for sure um but 
that's about it. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Mm-hmm. If anyone's out there listening, thanks for doing that. And we'll be back next time with Youth Without Youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And I can't remember the writer's name. And I'll have the book in front of me. Oh, I also forgot. But we'll be back with that one. Bye. Bye.